Welcome to the Hoof and Fang podcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Hoof and Fang is celebrating Leap Day with an epic once in a four year cycle sale. On February 29th, 2024, every audiobook in our online store will be on sale for $2.99. And every day leading up to February 29th, we are sharing a preview of our audiobooks right here in the Hoof and Fang podcast feed. Today, we're sharing with you a selection from the first audiobook we produced in September 2023, the conclusion to the Relic series by our very own Maz Maddox, Gardens and Ghosts. Prologue. Reaper. New Year's Eve, 1899. You look like you swallowed a lemon. Montana didn't take his eyes off the Allosaurus skeleton on display, his snarl barely contained. How could they get it so wrong when they have all the pieces? My mate asked, ocean blue eyes storming with genuine confusion. The miserable bastards spent decades in a fossil pissing contest just to produce that? I gave the strange parody of the Jurassic King a long look, sipping my whiskey. It stood like a dog walking on its hind legs, tail flat against the ground and neck arched so the skull pointed forward instead of straight up. It was hilarious. Well, I thought it was hilarious. My poor Montana thought it was an affront to our species. Got the arms right, I teased, laughing as he swallowed down more alcohol. Relax, they're doing their best. Only we know how bad it is. They'll figure it out. Considering how often humans get taken out by getting too drunk and trying to wrestle bulls for fun, I don't have high confidence. Montana let a rush of air out from his nose and turned to me. Frederick is coming over to remind us how much the museum tickets he got us were. Want me to spill whiskey on his jacket? That got a smirk from him, and I loved it. Ah, the Smith brothers, Frederick sang in his fake, delighted voice he put on to sound nice. He was a strange man, with a habit of pissing people off while still throwing heaps of money their way. For whatever reason, he thought the stupid nonsense between Cope and Marsh was devilishly scandalous gossip and prodded us for insight while paying for our drinks. From an outsider's perspective, the paleontological boom and vicious sabotage between the two men was pretty interesting. For Montana and I, it was years of idiotic hell while we tried to steer them in the right direction. We couldn't outright tell either man what the ancient world was like without seeming absolutely insane, so we had to guide them. They were far too busy trying to destroy each other and win who has the most bones to ever really care. Remind me, were either of you present when this beast was unearthed from the depths? Frederick asked, turning to gaze with passing interest at the grotesque dinosaur. Montana was, I said, passing Montana my whiskey. He was working for Cope at the time. I was with Marsh. Brothers divided. Frederick loved that narrative. We were absolutely not divided, and most certainly weren't brothers. 
It was much easier to explain two men living together as siblings, rather than being immortal heathen sinners who could transform into prehistoric lizards. Brothers wanting to do their part for natural history, Montana corrected after a sip. We found the fossils for the Allosaurus in Como Bluff in Wyoming. This was a few years back. I still find it truly fascinating that they wouldn't display this animal until after Cope's death. Why do you think that is? Shame? Do you think this is another one of the... He paused dramatically and placed the back of his hand near his mouth before whisper shouting, Fakes? It's not fake, we both said in unison. Montana continued. I was there. This is all the bones, head included. Frederick deflated, annoyed we didn't give him some delicious piece of gossip to chew on. Well, he drew out, giving the Allosaurus another dismissive glance. I was curious if the fossil thefts were true. The what? Montana's eyebrows reached for his blonde hairline. Thefts? Oh, yes. Frederick's eyes sparked with renewed gossip energy. I heard some riffraff hired on the dig sites stole bones to sell off for profit. It was my turn to be offended. What on God's green earth would someone do with stolen prehistoric bones? My dear boy, these bones go for a fortune to collectors, especially now. I've heard that particularly ambitious fellows chart across the ocean and dig up bones as far away as China, then sell them to naturalists here, if you can believe it. Frederick made a little tisk. That's the business to be in. That's disrupting the science and selling history for a few bucks, Montana shot back. Hundreds, if not thousands, Montana. Not a few bucks. Frederick said, then corrected Ship once he saw Montana's molars grinding. Not that I would support such disrespect to the field of paleontology, of course. I'm a man of science. Where did you hear this from? I asked, piloting Frederick back to verbal safety. A friend of a friend, you know, he waved it away dismissively. Could you get more information from your friend of a friend? Like who typically buys such a collection? Joseph, Montana scolded. You're not serious. Now, now, just a query. I gave Montana's shoulder a pat and aimed my smile at Frederick. If you could be so kind, Frederick. You are our eyes and ears in the most refined places in society. I would be delighted to introduce you. Frederick made the weaselly smile he often did when he got a new piece of gossip or saw a business opportunity. Making connections is my calling, after all. Some would argue it's what you were placed on the earth to do. That and chew the fat, Montana added with a bone-dry sarcasm Frederick mistook for genuine reverence. You know I don't need your flattery, gentlemen, he lied around a delighted laugh. I'll organize a meeting over drinks and send you the invitation. That sounds perfect. Only fifteen more minutes until we ring in the glory of the new year. Frederick wiggled his empty glass. I need to go make the rounds. 
I gave Frederick's hand a shake before he floated off to spread more gossip and chuckled at the vein popping out of Montana's temple. You went from swallowing a lemon to chewing on gravel. What the hell do you want to talk to the fossil theft brokers for? Because I have an idea. I hooked my arm around Montana's shoulders and rotated us clockwise, escaping the oddly angled Allosaurus in a quest for fresh air. Last time you had an idea, we worked for two pricks for a decade. Weaving around the mostly drunk crowd of overenthusiastic museum guests was difficult, and I sadly ended up with some beer spilled on my vest. The reward for our diversion was a stolen bottle of unattended, unopened champagne swiped from a stand and a clear balcony to see the stars. True, I admitted, parking us at the edge of the balcony railing. The sky was wide open, dazzling with a never-ending display of lights. It was too cold for the guests to mingle outside long, but Montana and I were made of tougher stuff. Standing shoulder to shoulder, I sent the cork of the fizzy champagne flying and let it foam over the railing. I say if we're going to stop these thieves, we'll need to know where they are. Montana's lemon face lifted into befuddlement. Stop them? That's right. Frederick said these people are all over the world. He said China. You know we have maps of China these days, I teased, a bubble of enjoyment raising to the top at Montana's annoyance. And boats. I'm being serious. He accepted the bottle as I passed it over. Through the glass behind us, we heard the band strike up to serenade the incoming new century. You really think we should stand by while some vagabonds get rich pilfering the bones of our ancestors? They're stealing them right out of dig sites, Montana, ripping away valuable information needed to help them understand the ancient world. Our world. Montana took a swig and exhaled a puff of smoke from his nose. We're just two men, Joseph. We can't stop fossil theft everywhere. I leaned into his shoulder, taking the bottle back to swallow down a drink of the fizzy alcohol. The countdown had begun. A chorus of numbers shouted in descending order. Two tyrannosaurs who survived millions of years tucked away below the dirt, waking up just in time to help steer the paleontological boom of history? You're right. We won't get them all, but we'll get some of them. I shrugged, handing the bottle back. Shouldn't we try? Joseph... He shook his head, rubbing at his temple in the sign I was pushing him too hard. I touched the back of his hand, wanting to kiss him, but knowing better. Please, I need you to trust me. A much softer storm clouded over his handsome face for a moment, a gentle vulnerability he rarely let show in public. The countdown inside had fallen into single digits, I don't want to be away from you again. I don't want one of us to head off to China while the other keeps digging around here. That time we worked apart nearly killed me. He leaned into my side as I tossed my arm over his shoulders, the stars above us dancing. The warmth shared between us kept the biting cold at bay. Whatever we do in the next century and beyond, 
I don't want to do it apart, I told him in a whisper. You're going to be at my side whether you like it or not, Monty. You keep calling me that, and I'm going to leave you in China, he whispered back around a smile. The eruption inside signified the start of the 1900s, the promise of a lifetime to come. We stood in the cold, watching the ageless starlight twinkle, having no clue what adventures were only a few decades away. In that moment, on the New Year's Day of our first new century together, I knew we'd never have another apart. I couldn't wait to see what happened next. Chapter 1. Montana The early spring chill was sharp against my skin, but the elk blood warmed me from the inside. My belly was full of red meat and crushed bone, the beast I consumed skinny from the long winter, but still very filling. Splattered carnage stained the thinning snow, melting from the heat of death. Through the evidence of the hunt, traces of the renewing springtime flora had begun to sprout, my breath bloomed in streaming clouds, the smell of crisp earth, blood, and snow delicious. My home state, my namesake, was beautiful, a true cradle of life and bountiful wilderness. It was leagues away from the earth I had known millions of years ago. The landscape shifted so dramatically that I had become a prehistoric monster only known by fossilized bone and imagination. But to me... This wild earth of greens, colorful flowers, mammals, and machinery, I felt just as much a part of it as I did 65 million years ago. This was home, the only one we'd ever have. Even now, when the snow bit at my skin that was not made for this temperature, I felt grounded. I was cold, but not in danger. My hunger was satisfied, and the urge to explore had me moving, careful not to growl or rumble, because my tone moved through the earth like a phantom roar. It radiated out like a threat and shook mammals to their core. The last thing I needed was to alert anything. This was my time to be my dinosaur self, a T-Rex in a world much too small for me. I stayed quiet and roamed, forgetting for a moment that I was alone. I had no others who could return my calls, no one would find my scent and come looking. No one that would challenge or submit. No one to share my meal with. My stomach soured, but I kept walking. I roamed, stretching my legs, drinking in the solitude of the nature around me. Twilight sky expanded in a glittering landscape of stars, swallowed into a mouth of pink-banded cliffs topped with snow. Below my claws, digging into the hard, frozen earth, I knew bones waited to be discovered. I wondered how many more of us were still sleeping. By the time I made it back to my camp, my skin screamed for warmth, and my feet hurt. My bones scraped and twisted as I shrank down, my senses dulling and mind firing back to plans, bills, obligations, and soft, quiet whispers of ache. My human body shook hard from the overwhelming chill, and I ducked into my tent to wrap up in my wading thermal blankets and hot water bottles. A light bloomed from my pillow, my cell phone blinking awake with countless notifications. Namely, meetings scheduled with field teams excavating new dig sites for me to explore. Museums and academia that needed my funding to continue work, 
and a reminder to call someone to look at the hot water heater back home. It was the tedious grind of maintaining connections and future research, making sure that the proper humans had the tools to unearth more of our bones. And keep the house in order. My screen was taken over by a picture of Royal's face wearing a comically small child's headband with a lime-green foam attempt at a triceratops frill on it. I had to flex my hand to get it to stop shaking from the cold and tap the screen twice to answer the incoming call. Royal, everything all right? His voice sounded clear but a little far away, indicating immediately that he had me on speakerphone. Hey, boss man, just checking on you. We got an alert that the weather up north was dropping. I'm fine. It's not too bad where I am, I told him, tucking myself further into my blankets. Are you doing the super manly man camping thing? Dalton asked next. Like just a normal tent and your grit to get you through the winter? I'm just normal camping. Normal camping is super manly man camping, he went on to explain to someone. Probably his boyfriend, Simon. Like, he basically sleeps in a tree and eats rocks. Any luck at the sights? Royal came back, rescuing the conversation. Find any new siblings for us to play with? No luck on new shifters, but there have been some great finds out here. I'll go over my intel when I get home. We have some new contacts here and a prospective site we can visit in the United Kingdom. I took a moment to let a chill pass over me. Any updates from you? Blaze booked a new gig, and Simon gets to lead a dig in Alaska, Royal announced, making Dalton hoot with joy over a chorus of laughter. Even though I couldn't see them, I heard both Simon's and Blaze's smiles. Our boyfriends are so amazing, Dalton cheered. We win the boyfriend game. Suck it, everyone else. Congratulations to you both. I'm very proud of you. We'll celebrate when I get home. Aww, Blaze made a little whine of delight. Thanks, Montana. When do you come back? Simon asked. A few days. I just need to wrap up here. I dug through my bag to find my backup battery. I have some... Montana? Henry's voice was a cool ripple, calm and steady. Henry, I answered back. From the mild calamity on the other end, I could visualize Henry forgetting about his size and crawling over laps. He had a tendency of reverting into old habits when he got excited, which was as charming and chaotic as a golden retriever puppy. Henry, watch it, man, Royal made a grunt. Your ass is in my face. Oof, you're heavy, Blaze whined. Did you find more of us? Henry was asking me during the protest. Baha said you went out to find more new shifters like me. I try and walk new dig sites to check for any of us still sleeping, but there wasn't anyone this time, I explained. Are you being safe? Are you warm? Did you catch anything to eat? Yes, to all three. The rapid-fire questions were familiar and honest. These concerns were the same for every member of the family. Henry was a tyrannosaur to the bone, protective and deeply concerned about everyone's food intake once he got over the need to try and prove his dominance. That had been an intense week. Montana? His voice broke the moment of reflection I had, and he surprised me by sounding much more sorrowful than I had been expecting. Are you coming home? 
I'll be home soon, I promised, annoyed with the knock of guilt against my chest. Just a few more tasks to finish up here, then I'll be on my way. Let me know when you want me to get your flight stuff ready, boss, Royal called out. We all miss you, but we know you're working. Mm, I'll contact you soon. A chorus of goodbyes sounded off, but Henry didn't add his until the end. It sounded like hanging up was breaking his heart. I disconnected the call and felt a sense of emptiness for just a beat. Waiting for me after the call ended was a series of pictures sent from Dalton's phone. They were random snapshots of their lives while I was gone for the past few weeks. Royal was posing in a new yellow apron that looked like it was plucked from an anime-made cafe in Japan. Dalton was proudly displaying his dinosaur-shaped pancakes like he had discovered a long-lost treasure. Baha looked annoyed in every picture, but he was always in them. The last one in the long line of ridiculous smiles and shenanigans, which had me worried about the state of the kitchen, was of the balcony during sunset. Orange and pink radiated across the Texas sky, which was impossibly wide and stretched forever. Clouds held the colors like wisps of pastel fire, dappled over a deep violet. Leaning on the balcony, gazing across the expanse of forest behind our home, was the newest addition to our family. Henry's wide shoulders were angled up from his weight resting on his elbows, his dark brows lowered in an expression of pensive reflection. Golden light cut across the sharp angle of his jaw, the defined curve of his triceps, the soft fabric stretched over his strong back. He'd come a long way from being a feral creature halfway stuck between the present and 65 million years ago. Navigating the human world had been tricky for him, as it had been for all of us when we first woke up after the meteor strike. But Henry had been especially unique. Language came easily to him, like a sponge of knowledge when it came to linguistics. We hadn't known this until a few months into him staying with us, when he had gone from totally mute to stringing together complete sentences in both English and Spanish. He'd also learned just enough from Baja's Arabic ramblings to successfully call Dalton a bastard for eating the last popsicle. It had been a fun day testing his crass language abilities. Henry was getting much better, but he still had a long way to go. The last picture sent to me was the one I saved as my background, and something I used to help propel me out of dwelling on how long of a day I had tomorrow. Between meetings and travel arrangements, I was going to be exhausted by the time I made it to the airport. But it was nice to know that my band of brothers was waiting for me back home. Their smiling faces, or approximation of smiling in Baja's case, all sitting around a table holding up drinks, made my heart warm. Even Henry was grinning, a little crookedly and showing off his prominent canines, but the gesture reached his golden eyes. All of my brothers were very handsome men in their own right, and they all had snagged equally charming and lovely partners, but I knew Henry was going to be similar to Yulong in his dating exploits. As soon as he was able to leave the house without one of us to escort him, he was going to be tripping over whoever he wanted to spend his time with. An incoming call I wasn't expecting pulled my thoughts away from Henry and his future dating life. The name displayed was not the one I had been expecting. Reuben, what's going on? Hell of a greeting, Montana, Reuben teased. 
You normally answer your phone like a drill sergeant. We don't exactly have the relationship that involves friendly chats out of the blue. I tugged my blankets around me tighter. Do you need something? Is Yulong all right? I'm not saying we need to swap gossip, Tyrannosaur, but you could at least answer the phone like a normal person. You know the standard greeting is hello, right? I know you've been awake longer than phones have existed, so maybe that one slipped past you. And yes, your brother is fine. A fading chill clattered my teeth and made my sigh of annoyance sharp. Get to the point, Reuben. I'm tired. I'm heading to Texas soon. I'm bringing Yulong and Nance with me. We have something interesting to talk about. Something interesting? He paused a moment, long enough that I had to check the screen to make sure the signal hadn't dropped. I think it's best if I wait until I'm there. It's complicated, and I don't want to have to repeat myself. It sounds like you're enjoying a power trip and being a dick. A laugh rippled out of the phone. The noise filtered through sharp teeth. When will you be back home? He asked once his laughter was under control. Give me a few days. I'll let you know when I start heading back. I rubbed at the tension behind my eyes. If this is a fossil theft or tip-off, you can just tell me over the phone. No, no. I'm enjoying the power trip. I'll see you in a few days, T-Rex. Have fun in the woods. The phone gave a little condescending beep to signify the call ending, the screen falling back into darkness. It wasn't shocking that Reuben, a rival fossil hunter and pain-in-the-ass Giganotosaurus, would be cagey about his intel. We had parted on what was essentially a ceasefire in order to leave wiggle room between our two groups. Yulong, my brother from the Relic House, had fallen madly in love with Reuben's brother, Lance. Since we were both decent people, we stopped trying to fuck each other over when it came to fossil hunting in order for them to have a relationship. I didn't like him, and I didn't trust him. But I would listen to what he had to say. For now. Thank you so much for listening to this special preview of Gardens and Ghosts by Maz Maddox. This audiobook and others will be available through our online store for only $2.99 on February 29th. If you're listening to this after the sale, you can join our Patreon for only $5 and receive a 40% discount on all previously produced audiobooks. Or you can join at the $10 level, still get that discount on past audiobooks, and you will receive our future productions as a perk of membership. Visit hoofandfangpodcast.com to link to our online store and Patreon. You can also find those links in our show notes. And please join us every Friday as Maz and I talk about more incredible queer speculative fiction and the authors and creatives who bring them to life. Subscribe to Hoof and Fang wherever podcasts are available.